getting rid of that whole apologetic, you know, you're allowed to choose yourself and your boundaries. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Tanya Cole Lesnick. Tanya Cole Lesnick has been a psychotherapist, licensed clinical social worker, and coach since 1995. She received her master's degree in social work from New York University after group therapy changed her life. She has extensive experience in outpatient hospital mental health, private practice, and wellness center settings. From those experiences over the years, she has identified her most important focus, helping people to clear energetic clutter so they can focus on what matters most to them. So today we're talking about how family dynamics can lead to self-betrayal. And I know so many of you can relate. So grab a pen and a piece of paper for this one as you learn new tips, tools, and strategies to make some sense and heal from some of that craziness you may have come from. Here we go. Okay, everybody, I'm with Tanya Kolesnik, and we are talking about, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes there are some family dynamics that we grow up with, and it later leads to self-betrayal. So I brought in Tanya to help us navigate this and find out, of course, what we can do do with and what we can do about it. So welcome, Tanya. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, of course. So let's just get started with with the idea of this family dynamic where we grow up in, you know, in a house where there's either a narcissistic parent, uh, uh, an anxious parent, a parent who's just, I don't want to say shouldn't be a parent, but you know what I mean? Tell us, tell us some of the, if you have a personal story or a story of some of your, your clients and, and so we can understand where this may come from and how it could lead to uh, self-betrayal in the future. Absolutely. Um, I'll start with my own story, which I grew up in a household where my mother had a lot of anxiety and that anxiety came out as rage and anger. So as a kid, I learned not to rock the boat, people pleasing, how to be accommodating, how to show up in a way that she wanted me to show up because it was safer to do that. And then that expanded into my life as an adult for a while where I was um, sort of betraying myself so that I could stay in this people-pleasing mode. And in my limiting belief connected to that is that it's I'm going to be abandoned if I don't keep showing up this way. And so that became the pattern and starting to recognize that, excuse me, in my own life and starting to shift that was part of the process that I went through. And I've been a psychotherapist and coach for more than 27 years now. And I see that with so many of my clients who have similar experiences. It doesn't have to be that. Some some that you mentioned, the narcissistic parent, parents that abuse alcohol, and there's a very unpredictable environment at home, that kind of thing can really get children in that environment starting to read the room and make decisions externally about what's going to be safe and what's not going to be safe. And that can go with them into adulthood. 
Mm-hmm. And you can really see how it as a way just to keep safe, it, 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 it made sense in that young mind, okay, let me just do, you know, whatever, whatever mom says, or be the good girl or That's whatever right. to just, just to stay safe. So when you said it showed up, you know, it, in your adult life, in just people pleasing, in what ways? Give us some ideas of what that may have looked like for you. For me, it was saying yes to more than I really felt comfortable saying yes to, doing more social activities, doing favors for other people, being accommodating, um, making myself available at times when I really would have preferred to rest or do something different, but feeling like I needed to just keep showing up and saying yes, even though it didn't work for me, because otherwise I would be abandoned in some way. So that was often my own, um, yeah, what I ended up getting caught in. Yeah. And, you know, I I remember talking about this thing, yes and no confusion. Isn't it so true? We say yes to all the things that pull us away from our priorities, our values, what's meaningful for us. and, And, you know, then we say no. We say no to, wait, am I getting this backwards? You know what I mean? Because we say yes to some things, we say no to things that that are really important to us that can replenish and refresh us and and all of those things. I'll never forget. This just brings me right back to when my four kids were younger. And and I remember seeing those moms at school. They looked perfect. They brought in the perfect gift. And the kids always seem to have the perfect art project, you know, and at the time I was seeing a lot of those moms privately and they were a mess, a mess. Mm -hmm. Your adrenals just can't take that. Your, your body just can't take that. There's so much stress from that experience. And then of course that creates health issues and illnesses, conditions, even disease. So you, you realize that this is what you were doing. And you, you said, you, you know, with your clients, this is something that they were doing too. What are some suggestions? I mean, what did you what did you do to when was there an aha moment or a moment where you realized, oh my gosh, this is old stuff that mm. I need to mean something else, and I'm bringing this into my adult life. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, what happened? Yeah, I would like to say that I really addressed this before I became a therapist, but to be honest, I did not. This was something that later on, as I was starting to identify more and more this people-pleasing pattern and realize, wait a minute, I do that. So the first step for me was starting to recognize it and then name it. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the process. And I think that was tough. I mean, that was an identity shift because at first I had a lot of pride in being a nice person, being so easygoing. There was something, you know, that I would get a lot of positive feedback about that nature in me as I was people pleasing. And so going against that brought some feelings up and some fear up. So the first step was recognizing it, naming it. And before you get to the next one, I (laughs) I really invite everybody watching, listening to hear that because it's so true. We create an identity around this, let's say a title or something that we're we're proud of. I'll never forget. I, I always, I was sort of, uh, it gave me so much pride that people would say, oh my gosh, you have four kids and six dogs and a business. How do you do it all? And I'll tell you that was fuel for me to my own detriment. It made me so sick because 
I couldn't handle it all. It was way too much. But just like you having feeling good about being, you know, called so nice or whatever, that was sort of my, you know, my thing. I was hearing all these accolades from doing it all. And holy moly, it was really, really hard. And so now here you have this identity around that. What what's the unraveling of that? Like what happens when you realize, okay, this was a title, but it's just not working for me anymore. Yeah. I think there's a process of recognition first. So first the naming that we talked about mm-hmm. and kind of seeing it in action, right? So then here's this thing, I'm recognizing it and I'm naming it and I'm catching myself do it, but I'm already doing it. So at that point, I'm not changing the behavior, <clears throat> but I'm realizing where it's showing up and getting really clear about, okay, and then, well, and, and I just want to yes. say when you see it and when you catch yourself doing it, but you're just sort of watching as an observer, are you, are you being critical? Or are you just observing what's happening at that stage? Um, I work very hard at being kind to myself. I, I think my go-to as many of us have is that critical, that inner critic that can be very harsh. And so probably there was a lot of harshness initially and then catching myself and being kinder to myself about the process. Um, but it was catching it in action, seeing it, realizing it, why it was problematic And I think starting to understand the cost. So you were talking about doing it all and how it was too much. Like it Mm -hmm. really had a negative impact. And for me as well, when I realized, oh, I'm doing these things for other people being accommodating, whatever it was, and then realizing, and because of that, I now have less time at home with my family or I have whatever it was that I was doing was taking away from me being able to do what did matter to me. And there was some thinking of like feeling like I didn't have a choice for a period of time and then realizing, oh, wait a minute, this is all a story Mm -hmm. and starting to challenge it. So as I was catching it in action, then I started to make some decisions. Like, where is it in the way for me? And where do I want to very deliberately start to address it? Um, And here's where logic can be really helpful. And and usually with anything having to do with behavior, I think logic has no place at all. But, But when it comes to something like this, when you do look at it logically, you say, oh my gosh, look at the choices I'm making and what it's taking me from, away from. And when I just look at the hours in a day, and if I'm taking X amount of time for everyone else, it only leaves me with this tiny little sliver of self anything. And, and, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. I can expand that a bit if I say no a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and then when you do start to say no, or when I did start to say no at times when typically it would be my go-to to say, no, I can do that. Or I can be that there, then that's fine discomfort comes up because it's going against this whole thing that was very protective. It starts to feel a little bit unsafe to say no to something that my my ability to be loved 
was attached to that. And so that definitely brought up some emotional responses that made it hard. Yeah. And I want to get into that a little bit more because I know for so many people saying no is an issue. It's just really painful. And, and, you know, I, I remember uh, teaching this saying that the, when you think of the time that it takes, that you're going to be incredibly uncomfortable and you will, when that person is looking just to have you say yes, the go-to, you are the go-to person who's going to say yes. And you say, no, maybe it lasts what a minute or two, right? What you've secured however, lasts so much more. And also, I think we have this need to explain. And I Mm -hmm. I still find myself doing that. If I say no to something, I'm giving all my reasons. Talk to us about like why we do that. And and what's a better way around just saying no? Like I remember hearing no is a complete sentence. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think because we feel like, oh my God, maybe this person isn't going to like me anymore. Maybe this person is going to abandon me. I want to make a case for myself so that they really understand why I'm saying no and won't have any negative feelings towards me for saying no. I think that's the wish. Mm -hmm. I would say the better way to handle it, I'm trying to remember who, I think I heard this from Terry Cole, Um, actually, I think I saw a post on Instagram that she had done on this, but it was really helpful. And to think about it in terms of there are some people we may choose to give some context to about why we're making some of the decisions that we're making, which is very different than making a case for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was helpful to think about it in those terms. And not everybody has the privilege of getting the context from us. That's only the people that we choose to give some context to because we have that kind of relationship with them and we want them to know what we're going through, but it's not asking permission and, um, Yeah. And just getting rid of that whole apologetic, you know, you're allowed to choose yourself and your boundaries. Okay. Everybody, did you hear that? You're allowed to choose yourself and your boundaries. And I think that's so interesting. The idea that some people, uh, I don't want to say deserve, but some people, you you may feel more inclined to share uh, the reasons why and others, it's really not necessary. Is there, is there a way to determine who who gets that and who doesn't? Is it just a closeness thing? Is it a relationship thing? That's that's a good question. For me, it's a closeness thing. I think it's certain people in my life that I feel close to, I would give them context because that's what a relationship is. We talk to each other about those kind of layers. But I think that there are people that even I might like very much, but we don't have that kind of connection in our relationship. And so giving them context is really beyond what I want to sort of do in that relationship. Right. And I want to take it a step further because also what happens is when you do say no and you give your reasons, here's the thing, everybody, listen up. When you're giving your reasons, you can be inviting someone to combat those reasons. So it's also really important what you're saying along with that no. Like, if, for example, no, uh, I'm so, I wish I could. Unfortunately, I can't. It's just not a fit, right? That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Or I can't, it's not a fit because then I won't be able to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Then the Mm -hmm. other person could say, oh, well, yes, you can, because you can (laughs) whatever. But when you're just 
you're not giving a reason that invites uh, the conflict. It's a different thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm trying to Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like then you're opening yourself up for somebody to get involved in your decision making process, which is not where you wanted to go with that. I mean, I think in this case, we're talking about setting a boundary. So you're not asking about whether or not this boundary is okay. But then if you're telling a lot to somebody, they might decide that they're interested in feedback from that person. And there could be a second level boundary. I've done this before where I've said, I'm going to tell you this information, but I want you to know the decisions made. I'm not looking for feedback on it. Mm -hmm. And then would give information to some people that I feel like they need the second boundary and I am willing to give, or I'm interested in giving context. It's my own choice. Do I want to give context to so I, somebody? So I've never heard that second level boundary. So that's after you say no, that's the, the, the reason, whatever your reason is, is that a second level boundary? Well, I just said it. So I, I'm not yeah. sure it's anything that exists, but what I meant when I said it was that you're setting a boundary, right? I can't do this thing. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps you're offering context okay. and you might say another boundary in there, okay. which is I'm not interested in feedback about this, but I just wanted to share with you what's going on with me. Okay. And boundaries are such, I mean, this is a topic that the betrayal community gets really, uh, they can so appreciate because we get to redefine who we are, who we want to be, what do we want now, what no longer serves, what serves. Let's talk about boundaries. Can you help us out here? What, what is your definition of a boundary? How do we set them? What are the types of boundaries? I'd love to hear. My definition of a boundary is any constraint that you want to put on something in your life that the other person needs to understand so that they know where you're coming from. You're the one in the control of the boundary. They're not. You. There are times when you can make a request. This behavior doesn't work for me. I wish we could go about it this way, something like that, and you could work on it. That's different. That might be sort of working on a relationship, trying to tweak something. But a boundary really is something that you have control over. So it's, I'm not interested in staying out too late tonight. So I'm going to join, but I'm going to head home by eight, something like that. It could be something like that, but it's really a way to honor yourself and start to identify in what ways do you need to honor yourself? And it can even be a boundary with yourself. Like you can say, you know what, you're having some issues with your phone, you need to put that phone away. And so like very deliberately giving yourself some structure and some guidelines around something that you think is going to be helpful for you and starting to identify what that is. And then um, the goal would be to follow through with that behavior. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, a big part of betrayal is, of course, you know, the person we trusted the most proved untrustworthy, but we also lose trust in ourselves because, you know, so often we're like, how did I not see? How did I not know? So these mm -hmm. boundaries can really support us in rebuilding that self-trust for sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back to, because we're, we're talking about how these, these beliefs that start early on show up later in life. So is, so we were talking about recognizing it and then uh, seeing it in, in action and then the decision that we need to change it. And that sounds nice and all, okay, I'm just going to change it. You and I both know, and everybody listening and watching, it's a little more involved than that. So how do you change it? So you realize, okay, you know, this just clearly doesn't work anymore. I'm done. I'm a, I'm a grown up. I don't want to keep this going my whole life. Mm-hmm. What happens if some of us become therapists and, and coaches so that we can heal our own stuff? I'm certainly one of them, yeah. Um, yeah. but what? Yeah. So the person who just realizes, wow, I've been people pleasing my whole life. It stems from what I learned when I was a kid. I'm, I just don't want to keep this going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think to know that there's a trial and error period and there is uh, little tiny steps moving towards being able to do this. I would recommend because I think so often making these changes, like I was saying earlier, does bring up a lot of discomfort so that if you're going to start to make those changes and expect you're going to be able to like, I'll just stop doing it, then you're likely going to be frustrated with the process because there's going to be a lot of, I think, um, push pull and you're going to probably feel some level of being torn. There's a reason why this behavior existed to begin with, as we talked about, and it's very protective. And so it can feel very unsafe to start to allow some of these new behaviors in. So I think to be very deliberate about it, to choose where you're going to do it, to know that there is likely going to be some discomfort that comes up and kind of maybe have a mantra. I often talk to people about having some sort of a mantra to help them through things. The more in your own words, the better. So um, something like, just keep going, just keep going or something to remind yourself that like you're getting through this one goal. And the thing is, is once we start to strengthen those muscles, they do start to get stronger and we can get better as we start to challenge ourselves with the new behavior and start to do it. But going into it especially when it's new, knowing this is going to be a little tricky. So sometimes journaling beforehand can be helpful. Getting a vision of what it might look like can be helpful. Practicing the words that we're going to say can be helpful. Calling a friend to say, okay, like this is hard for me, but I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to call you in 10 minutes when I'm done. That kind of thing can be really helpful to set you up, set us up for some level of success to really know it's complicated. There are layers here and we're going to support ourselves going through it and maybe getting a little bit dysregulated in the process and trusting that we're going to sort of nurture ourselves through it, take care of ourselves through it. You know, I would add one more thing to that. I love that. And I would add celebrate, celebrate Mm. after you've done it, right? Because think about it. If this is hard stuff, we're changing Mm -hmm. these behaviors that could have been with us for decades. So even the slightest bit of 
of a change, taking those tiny steps, like you mentioned, saying no, when the go-to response would have been a yes, finding some way to celebrate that, whether it's just looking in the mirror and just saying, Hey, go you, you're awesome. Or, or, you know, I remember, I mean, a million years ago, working with people where they were working towards something by making those changes. So whether they put a, like a dollar or five dollars, something that was so silly and so frivolous that they never would buy on their own, but the changes they were making would earn them the money towards this thing, this bag, this trip, I love that. whatever, because think about how, how exciting it is to actually purchase that thing because of the changes that were made. So some kind of celebration, um, and maybe even keeping track of it, you know, keeping a journal Uh and, uh, keeping track of each time you say no, or do something different than that old version of you would have done. It's just bringing you closer to making, you know, to making these changes. Do you have any, uh, like a story about one of your clients who maybe they were a real people pleaser or coming from, uh, just a real dysfunctional, beginning and, and turned it all around and, and what did yeah. they? Yeah. I have a client who is very successful in many areas of her life. Her career is very successful. She has a beautiful family. She's very involved in the community and she gets it's similar to the story you shared, gets a lot of accolades about that. And people kind of lean on her a lot because she shows up in such a big way like that. And she is starting to set some boundaries, which really challenges a lot of um, her identity of somebody who like people can count on and people know she's going to get the job done and realizing that it there's been a cost and starting to say no to certain things, officially retired from one of her, um, a, a football thing that she had taken on. And she really is starting to create more space for herself. And it's amazing to see her be able to I think be more at peace in her own skin, knowing that she's taking care of herself and starting to say no to some things because the impact before was being so, um, really depleted because there was so much energy all the time sort of going out there into the world. So, yeah, yeah. I can so appreciate that. I'll tell you when I was reworking, uh, the way I felt about that, I felt, I mean, the minute I would sit down, I would, I would feel lazy. Why aren't I doing more? All of these things. And it was was brutal. It was brutal. And it was just me. It was just me saying these things. So, um, it, I can, I can attest to that. It does take time. It takes a lot of work, but you get to define and redefine over and over and over again, who you want to be and, and in what way. So it, are there any other, uh, so we talked about people pleasing and we talked about uh, just overdoing. Is there any other maybe behavior that you've seen from someone who comes from, let's say there was alcohol or there mm-hmm. was sort of abuse? What, what do you see and what can that person do yeah. uh, because of what had been created early on? I I think sometimes people accept behavior and treatment from other people that they think maybe is norm or the best they can do or something like that, where they're not 
sort of holding on to you deserve more and being confident enough in their ability to hold out for higher quality relationships and better treatment. And so I think that's another example of what can happen. Yeah. And you absolutely can change. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we start to wrap up? I'm just, uh, the celebration thing that you were saying before, I was just thinking about, I run a lot of groups. I know you run a lot of groups too. And I feel like there's something about if we can let people into our lives, whether it's in a group environment or people that we really care about, but like, we really do want to celebrate each other. And I think there is something about letting the people in that we do care about in our lives on that emotional level that can just be so affirming for all of us to know that we can support each other in that way. So I love that. And and yes, it's true uh, about the power of a group, but I'm a big believer in the power of the right group because Mm -hmm. what I have seen so many times is, uh, you know, someone's in some sort of support group and then they start healing. Well, they don't belong. They've just outgrown the group. I know within the PBT Institute, I mean, that's why the support in there is to lift and and inspire. We're all in a club we never wanted to be in, but we're Mm. all there to support each other, lift each other. Hey, what'd you do? Oh, that worked. What about this? What about this? So I just want to, I just want to touch on one thing about um, group support. Tell us the benefit of it, because I know I've seen it in within the PBT Institute, but with the right support. What have you seen? What have you noticed? With the right support that you're not alone, I would say that's the top thing. Like you are not alone. I think uh, I became a therapist because I went into a group as a client um, 30 years ago. And for me, I went into that feeling very flawed. Mm -hmm. And I think going into that, talking about some human stuff and realizing oh, wait, we're not flawed. We're just human. Like it's complicated, obviously being human. So to be able to be with some of those layers and not be harsh and harsh towards ourselves and critical. And um, I think having some accountability, being able to see other people's journeys and there are always things that resonate for us. So I think we learn a lot about ourselves when we hear other people talk about their journeys. We'll we'll see where we're aligned with them and we'll see what might be triggering when we hear other people talk about them. Either way, we're learning a lot about ourselves and then starting to, we talked about boundaries, of course, starting to develop a voice, having a place where you can practice speaking up about things with within a safe environment of the right group. And I agree with you. There's a lot of groups out there that are not helpful, but to be in a helpful group where that's a safe thing to be able to start to practice your voice. What does that look like so that you can go out in the world having that muscle a little bit strengthened already and have some clarity about that? Yeah, that's so great. And I think you said it. it, So many of those aspects are really important. And of course, that you're not alone. I mean, that's just huge. Tanya, where do we go to learn more about you and what you do? The easiest way to find me is uh, my website, and you can get there by going to clearenergeticclutter.com. And um, yeah, I have a few things on there, a little documentary of my story. um, And 
a free um, seven minute masterclass about just getting some clarity on there. So yeah, that sounds so great. And we'll have all the information in the show notes too. Tanya, I want to thank you so much. I know you helped our amazing listeners and viewers uh, just heal and, and just from some craziness they may have, they may have come from. (laughs) So that's a great thing. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Debbie. It's been, I really enjoyed talking about this and peeling away those layers. I hope you got a lot out of my conversation with Tanya. Stay in touch with her by going to clearenergeticclutter.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. First, recognize it and name it. Next, see it in action. Catch yourself speaking harshly or critically and choose kindness instead. You also may want to understand the cost of speaking with yourself that way. Make the decision to change. Start saying no and don't feel like you need to make a case for yourself with all of the reasons why you're saying no to something. I'm working on this one myself. And lastly, don't forget about group support, which is so helpful because you have a space to see that you're not alone, you're not flawed, you have accountability, and you see other people's journeys, which can be so inspiring as you're working towards your own healing. And of course, I have just the place for you to do that. Join us at thepbtinstitute.com. That's the PBT as in Post Betrayal Transformation Institute.com and get started with our new Reclaim program. It's a 90-day experience where you get to work privately with our coaches, attend live classes, ask me your questions in our group sessions, and be in the most loving and supportive place to transform. In 90 days, you'll be moving through the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough so you can look feel and live better. So don't wait. You deserve to heal. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.